An honorable profession is brought to you by OpenCounter.com. OpenCounter builds tools for local governments to deliver permits and licenses online. Their portals make complex permitting simple, which lowers transaction costs, increases transparency, and empowers economic development. OpenCounter is a vital tool for communities big and small across the nation, including Atlanta, Charlotte, Oakland, Indianapolis, and San Diego. Check out OpenCounter.com to see what they can do for your community. If you like an honorable profession, I encourage you to check out another great podcast that's out to give you hope in an often hopeless world. Dastardly Cleverness in the Service of Good. Each episode, my friend Spencer Critchley talks to people who are making tremendous positive impacts on our world. The conversations are funny, engaging, and hopeful. Listen to Dastardly Cleverness on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that identifies rising stars in the Democratic Party at the state and local level. I've been fortunate enough to be a New Dealer for years, first when I was mayor of Santa Cruz, and now as chair of the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors. We've been doing this podcast for a year now, and I encourage you to check out some of our previous episodes with great leaders like Mayor Pete, Nevada Attorney General Aaron Ford, and candidate for U.S. Senate in Texas, Amanda Edwards. You can find us at newdealleaders.org or wherever podcasts are found. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. We're trying to bring sanity to politics in an insane era. We need all the help we can get. We're ending 2019 with a very special episode of An Honorable Profession. Today, I talk with Montgomery, Alabama Mayor Stephen Reed. He's the first African-American to be elected to that position in the city's 200-year history. We talk about his path into public service, what he plans to do, and what it's like to be the center of this historic moment for his city. Enjoy our conversation. Montgomery, Alabama Mayor Stephen Reed, welcome to An Honorable Profession. Thank you for having me. Your election was historic. It's getting national and international attention. But I want to start with your story. Tell me about growing up. Where'd your interest in public service come from? Uh, your path to becoming mayor? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. I, I grew up in a family of uh, public servants. Um, my father was one of the first black city councilmen uh, elected uh, in Montgomery, Alabama in 1975, along with three others. Uh, that was the first election uh, when Montgomery went to a mayor-council form of government. Uh, he had been a student government leader leading the uh, sit-in movements in, in Montgomery as a uh, SGA president at Alabama State University at the time. Um, and my mother's from Perry County, so she had uh, a uh, personal relationship uh, with the Scott family. And the Scott family uh, was probably more known by the most famous guy, and that's Coretta Scott King, uh, who went to school uh, with uh, my older, uh, my, my mom's older brothers and sisters. And so uh, for me, I was always in that space in Montgomery. Um, I grew up in, you know, a much different Montgomery than my parents experienced. I went to, you know, you know, great public schools, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, very mixed, if you will, 50-50, 60-40. 
uh, you know, I mean, I had a great time growing up in Montgomery. I always, you know, traveled to see fa- friends and family outside. But growing up there was, was great. But when you grow up uh, the son of a, of a politician, uh, it's kind of like, you know, growing up the son of a preacher. You either want to, uh, you know, follow in those same footsteps or get as close away, uh, get as close, as get as far away, I should say, uh, as you can so that, uh, you know, you can kind of chart your own course. And that was, you know, really what I did um, in leaving Montgomery and going on to Morehouse College um, for undergrad and, and then living, you know, in Dallas and Atlanta uh, and Nashville because my thought was I wanted to be on the corporate side of things. I, I didn't have an interest in, uh, you know, being involved in politics. Uh, didn't want to run for office. I really just wanted to uh, kind of, you know, uh, find a way up the corporate ladder, if you will, to try to make as much money as I could uh, and, and get to a position of leadership uh, and influence that way. But um, that's not how things, you know, uh, worked out. Again, you know, God has his own plan uh, relative to ours. And, and so I ended up coming back to Montgomery after finishing uh, business school at, at Vanderbilt and um you know, still didn't think I was going to be involved politically, but just got uh, frustrated with the status quo, got frustrated with the stagnation of, of, of ideas and, and, and progress and, and just didn't see the political courage that I thought uh, was necessary and that, you know, I had grown up witnessing and seeing myself. So it was there was no singular event. It was it was really a culmination of factors that sort of made you decide to run for for office? Yeah, you know, one thing I I kind of have mentioned is in in 2007 when um, then-Senator Obama came to Selma uh, to speak at the uh, anniversary of the uh, bridge crossing for the Voting Rights March they have every year there. Uh, He spoke in Brown Chapel AME Church, and he gave a fantastic speech that I I would encourage everyone to to, uh, go and watch on YouTube or pull up. Um, and one of the lines in that was, you know, he said, there's a poverty of ambition in doing things just for money. And I've got to, you know, say that was a line that I remember because it was something that I kind of felt like I was doing at the time. Um, you, you have this mindset of what corporate success is and what personal success is. And I think we tend to uh, correlate that with, you know, your, your net worth or uh, how much you're bringing in and that sort of thing, or at least I did. And that was something that kind of struck me. And certainly, you know, watching the rest of that campaign what was inspirational to me like it was for, for millions of Americans. And I think when I kind of juxtapose that versus some of the progress that um, we still weren't getting in Montgomery and, um, you know, trying to talk to friends and colleagues about, you know, offering themselves up for public service and seeing that, you know, no one to be involved, I was like, you know, well, how is this going to change? How, how are we going to improve if the good people um, really uh, don't want to get involved because they don't see public service uh, as an honorable profession, if you will. Um, and some of the people who are in it are in it for the wrong reasons um, or aren't willing to do the things necessary uh, to really impact change for the people that they represent. And I think it was kind of a culmination of, of those feelings and thoughts that, you know, I kind of decided, well, you know, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. 
Uh, and maybe this is something that my friends who've been telling me for years, you know, you, you should run for office, you know, and that was in, in other cities that I lived in. You know, you know a lot about it, you're passionate about it, you should do it. But, you know, I might say, well, hey, you know, it doesn't pay, but, you know, uh, $10,000 is too much of a headache, you know, to, to do it. And I looked at it from those terms of what I would call maybe a, a self-centered mindset versus a, a, a service mindset of, well, what type of impact can you have on people and what and how can you change your community um, by offering yourself for service, in particular given the experiences that I had. So um, it was all of those things that I think really pushed me towards doing um, and getting involved in 2012 in my first race for probate judge. Uh, that was a countywide race uh, against a three-term uh, Republican incumbent. And it was one that was, I knew was going to be tough and one that most people didn't think I'd win. Um, he was popular uh, throughout the community, but I just thought that the, uh, the leadership was out of touch with where we were and where we needed to be. And uh, from there, I think I was able to kind of chart a course of leadership and production that made people think, well, you know what, if you can do this in, in, in the probate court, um, and you can kind of help out and make a difference in these other ways then what better way for you to be the thermostat in our community uh, rather than a thermometer uh, than by running for mayor and uh, being the person who's really charting the course and setting the agenda for the city. And tell me, because you've run two races that were uphill battles. So what was your secret or what was your approach that allowed you to win these races that, that a lot of folks didn't think you could win? Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, I've always taken the approach that a, a lot of things may happen, but you won't outwork me. Um, and and I've, I've always taken that um, as, a, as a badge of honor that I won't be outworked in, in any way, stretch, form, or fashion um, of the campaign or the job itself. And I think that, you know, for me, uh, there was a lot of preparation put involved. There was a lot of sweat equity involved. Um, but there was also just, I think, a, a, a level of understanding where the community, um, you know, was at the time that I ran. And I'll say that I think that after I proved um, our, our strength in, in running in 2012 against an incumbent where we were outraised four to one, um, I did not probably have as much of a uphill battle convincing some others in, in this mayoral race because they had seen the work that I'd done. Uh, they knew that I was very popular in the community. I had a track record of standing up for um, things that may not have been politically um, easy at the time, whether that was marriage equality or voter IDs, uh, voter ID laws. But those were things that um, I supported and took strong stands on because they were the right thing to do. And they were things that I believe should be uh, in place. And so people knew where I was. And so I think when we got to the mayor's race this year, um, there was a sense that I would be a formidable candidate. And I think that there were those who thought, well, you know, maybe we can, um, you know, maybe kind of cloud the message if there are a number, a lot of candidates that run. And we had a lot of candidates that ran. Uh, we had uh, 12 candidates total. Um, yeah, well, we had a lot in particular. We, you know, we had uh, 10 African-American candidates, and we probably had never had more than, you know, four uh, prior to that. So, you know, I, I think there was, there was something there in terms of just trying to maybe cloud the message. But what I think what, what was underestimated was what we had done in, uh, over the last six-plus years I've been in office, and, and seven-plus if you go back to my first race, 
was to build the infrastructure and build the foundation of being a principal leader and being one who was willing to uh, envision things as they should be and not as they are. And I think that our um, approach to this was one that was very strategic. It was very data-driven. Uh, it was one that did not forsake one aspect of campaigning for the other. Um, you know, we believe in, in uh, touching voters. We believe in the, the old school way of knocking on doors and getting out on the street corners and old retail politics. But we also uh, believe in, in some of the analytics that, that are involved. We want to know who the consistent voters are. Uh, we, we had a, a database of, of a percentage of our registered voters that we knew would vote, and we targeted them uh, in a way that I think was very different than any other race that had been run in our city. And then on top of that, we, we layered the social media aspect to help us with fundraising initially when um, some of the, uh, if you will, some of the, the people locally either weren't sure who they were going to support or did not want to support me. And we were able to raise money online uh, because of our social media presence. And so ours was one that was very tactical. It was one that was very uh, strategic, and it was one that was very uh, effective, and I believe allowing us to catapult to a 42% um, result in the primary out of 12 candidates and almost doubling up our second-place opponent. And I, I attribute that to uh, the preparation, to the work ethic that we had, uh, and to all those other factors uh, that we utilized to really uh, elevate our campaign and really elevate our message into one of of inspiration, of bringing the community together to bet on our future as opposed to uh, being kind of caught in the past. Let me ask about that that message, that inspiration, because um, we live in a pretty cynical age of politics. Uh, people are losing hope and faith. Um, certainly in Montgomery, Alabama, and among the African-American community, there's a, there's a long history of um, – you know, disenfranchisement and and loss of hope uh, in the political process to, to represent them. What was your message t- to overcome the cynicism out there? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, our message was one of, of, of opportunity. It was a message that I think um, really hit home with a lot of people, regardless of their party, uh, regardless of whatever their political uh, ideology may be. And it was one of building on us having a a brighter future than maybe some of the uh, dim parts of our past and really focusing on what our potential could be as a city if we were a place of great opportunity for everyone, if we were a place of of change and a place of of, um, really trying to find ways that work uh, for everyone that lives there and really focusing on those things that people care about. That's where they live, that's where they learn, and that's where they earn. And those were the things that we put into place and we kind of kept core to our message was that this is something that, um, you know, really connects every neighborhood. It connects every zip code. It connects every person because we all want to see uh, these chances out here. And we all are looking for uh, the aspirational uh, leadership um, or model, if you will, that allows us to, to believe that, that we can get there and that it, it can happen. And I think because of who I am and the connection I had to the community um, and to what I'd also done, not just even in public service, even just when I was in uh, the private sector, just my my 
commitment to the community, my involvement, was I think something that gave it more credibility. And I think that with that credibility then sparked the energy that this was possible and the energy that, you know what, uh, maybe this is how it has been, but that doesn't mean this is how it should be. And Stephen uh, is talking in ways of, of what it could be. And I think that was some of the uh, um, connection and some of the energy that we got uh, and feedback that we got from the community that allowed us to really have the large number of volunteers that we had to have the great community support across the board that we had and just to receive the amount of of encouragement that really uh pushed us all the way through this campaign and your background is in business so how do you think you're going to bring that knowledge and experience into the into the organization of running a running a city well, you know, I, I think it, it's at the forefront every day um, with everything that, that I do in terms of does it work and does it make sense? Not this is how it has been or not this is how it, you know, it was written in, in 19 whatever. But does it make sense for the marketplace now for the customers we're trying to serve? And for me, whether you're talking customers or shareholders um, or anything else, what your mission and what your values are, those are things that we have to apply to government. And that's what uh, I've already started you know, applying to our uh, conversations with our cabinet, uh, with our transition team, and really you know, telling people it's not enough for us just to accept things as they are if they don't make sense in terms of what we want to do. And we have to look at not just uh, the politics of it, but the effectiveness of it, the efficiency. Does it work? Can it be done in a different way? And, and are we bringing that analytical perspective to it to say, you know what, I, I know I'm comfortable here. Uh, I know this um, you know, is a safe place and a safe route for me to take in terms of our approach, but this isn't serving the community. Uh, our engineering or our parks and recreation or our uh, educational, political or economic development, whatever area you want to look into, this isn't working for where we want to be right now. And we have to be honest and look at the results that have been um, had over the last few years and, uh, and determine if we are satisfied with that or if that is something that we want to uh change and evolve into something else that's going to better produce outcomes for our citizens and for what the goal of government should be. And if it is not doing that, then it's not worth keeping. And I think that's something that most business-minded uh, people would, would take that same approach because if you're not making money, uh, if you're not you know hitting the profit margin that you need, if you're not hitting the performance metrics that you need or the productivity that you need, you're going to look for ways to change that. Uh, you're going to look for ways to, to meet those goals and meet those objectives. And that's how we want to take our approach to government as well. And how there's always a fine line in organizational change about how fast you push mm -hmm. versus uh, versus how much you sort of let the culture bake in. Um, how are you going to determine that line? Just for all the leaders listening at home who are maybe struggling with the exact same thing. Sure. What's your strategy? I think our strategy there is to be, um, you know, very patient in that. Um, it, it, it's one that I don't think you, you move too fast uh, without assessing where some of the tripwires may be or where some of your problem areas may be. I think it's one that you really have to make sure that you are uh, changing things for the sake of improvement and not just changing things because you have the power of the position. And I think that uh, my approach has always been if 
you know, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt in terms of a practice or in terms of a mindset until I see otherwise. Now, it may be that I decide to change it because I have someone I think can perform better or can uh, implement this initiative in, in a better way. But it's not one that I would say is hasty. It's not one that I would say is, is ego-driven. To me, it, it, it's something that we have to take uh, methodically uh, as, as good leaders, and we have to make sure that we can justify why the change is being made. If you're just making the change just for the sake of, you know, that's how it's been done in the past, I'm not sure if that's the, if that's the best approach. Uh, and if you're making a change because you want someone who you know, or you 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 and you know they can do the job as well, if not better than someone, that's a little different. I mean, I understand you know the the concept of, of comfort and uh, having people in your circle that you trust, and having people in your circle that share the same ideals that you have, and I think that is important. But I think you you get to that by understanding. Uh, what the landscape is and surveying that as well um, before moving too fast because I've seen situations where good people were pushed out um, just because they weren't you know someone else's in someone else's circle and I've seen certain situations where people needed to be pushed out uh, not because they weren't in the circle but because um, they weren't capable of doing the job as another leader thought it should be done I think that is fair and that's going to be our approach to it um, but it's one that I don't make unilaterally, but one that I make with a circle of, of trusted uh, advisors to, to, to be sure I'm being objective and I'm being practical um, in the change that uh, we may be making in time, whether it's a policy, whether it's a department of just function, or whether it's a, a person themselves. And how do you manage your time? And this is, I mean, this is a specific question for you in that being a mayor is you're getting pulled in all kinds of directions all the time. You have to focus on the organizational piece and the running of the city. You're you're the ceremonial figurehead to cut ribbons and kiss babies. Mm-hmm. And now you're also, I mean, you're getting international attention. I'm sure you're getting invitations from around the world. Yeah. Trying to balance all three of those things is 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 challenging and even under the best circumstances but for someone who's brand new how do you what's your life like i guess right now yeah. and then uh how do you make those determination it's a work in progress um you know it, it's one of those things where you know even the uh the best laid plans you know don't always work out the way you want them to and so i have a schedule i'm doing the best i can to keep to that schedule right now um but that's not to say i haven't had some deviations in that over these last few weeks uh, during the transition, and certainly since I was sworn into office. Um, but I think you have to try to keep at least a baseline of, of what your I- ideal situation is. And for me, it kind of comes back to, you know, what are the priorities? Um, and certainly you have to keep those in mind, I think, in a way uh, that you don't get too far out of bounds in, in terms of what really matters uh, in the job and in the job itself. And this is not just personally. I mean, personally, certainly uh, God and family um, are, are things that, that you have to put at the top. Um, but in the job itself, it is what is most relevant and what is most pressing to me. And what is most pressing to doing this job at a high level uh, with a level of excellence every day. And if you do that, and that's kind of how we campaign, then the day is one, the week is one, the month is one, and so forth. Then we're being productive. Um, if I think that this is noise or this is distraction or distracting, 
or something that may not uh, provide a, a, a short-term result or dividend, if you will, um, then I may kind of push that down the line a little bit. But if it's something that I know I need to do, then I'll certainly deal with that uh, in a way that gives their priorities. So right now, my priorities are learning the various departments, talking with the department heads about what they're doing, uh, making sure that I'm communicating with my transition team, and really uh, taking care of the basics uh, as it relates to our city government uh, and as it relates to serving the people of Montgomery, Alabama. After that, you know, there have been opportunities to expose uh, what we did in this race and why Montgomery is significant and why it matters politically to various groups and audiences, of which I felt there's a great chance for us to, you know, share the narrative about uh, not just our race, but our vision for Montgomery uh, with uh, the state, with people in this country and people beyond because I want us to change the narrative of Montgomery. I want us to be a city that is more future-oriented than hindered by its past, because I think um, no city should be judged by just some of its its worst moments um, throughout its history. And so I try to juggle those things. And then third, there are those uh, community uh, obligations that you try to keep. Uh, I can't you know, agree to do all of them. As someone said, you're gonna have to learn how to say no uh, a lot more. And, and I'll get there, but I, but I also don't want people to feel as well, you know, now that, you know, feel like now that I'm elected, that they can't touch me, they can't talk to me. And so we're trying to balance those things, but making sure, and, and I've had to say this, that the campaign part is over, now the work has begun. And so it's important for me to understand that the work comes first, and that is the work of, of leading the city uh, in the way that, you know, we campaigned on the people supported and voted for and making sure we're tying all those loose ends um, so that we can get that work done. And to the degree that we can share some of the good news about uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and about some of the uh, ideas that we would like to see implemented in Montgomery and things that I want to do as its leader, then I'll certainly take those uh, anytime I can get them. Tell us about Montgomery. Like what all of us, uh, I've, I've been there several times, but yeah. for listeners uh, who may not uh, have thought about it other than in a historical context, tell us about your community. You know, the community is, is I think, a, a wonderful place uh, filled with, with, you know, kind-hearted people. Uh, I think it's a community that believes in uh, working hard and believes in the possibility that ordinary people can do extraordinary things. Um, but it's a community that, that, that has some, some challenges as well. Um, we are, you know, a city, um, roughly over 200,000 people uh, in an MSA of about maybe 365,000 or so. Uh, we are the state capital of, of Alabama. We are also, I would say, the regional commerce capital of central Alabama in the river region. Um, we have a population over uh, 60% African-American. Uh, right now, that has not always been the case. That has evolved over the last um, few years. Um, but we're a city that really, I think, understands its place in history, understands where things are uh, as it relates to uh, race, as it relates to class, as it relates to uh, other challenges that, that we may see throughout other communities. But it's a, it's a city that has gone through some very positive changes and some positive growth, no question about that. In the last 10 to 15 years, we, we have a thriving downtown um, riverfront community. 
Uh, we have a very strong uh, tech and internet foundation that of which I hope to build on over the next four years through our internet exchange and our smart city initiatives and being the intellectual hub for the Air Force with Maxwell Air Force Base being headquartered just um, a mile outside of downtown. And we are also the home to Hyundai Motor Manufacturing, which is the only uh, North American uh, manufacturing facility. So we have a number of automotive uh, suppliers uh, that are also based in and around Montgomery. So we have some, some very good assets. We also have five universities uh, in Montgomery, uh, Alabama State University and Auburn University, Montgomery, Huntington College, Troy University, and Faulkner University as well. Um, didn't mean to name all five, but once you name yeah. one, you got to name them all. <laughs> um, so, so we have students, we have talent coming in, and we have people who have a strong work ethic. Um, right now, what I would say our challenges are is in our education system. Uh, we have allowed that education system to, to become antiquated. Uh, we have not kept up with the changes in public education, nor have we funded it properly in the manner that supports our teachers, support staff, uh, students, and parents. And that has caused some um, not only uh, hurdles in, in the community, but it's caused us to have um, it's caused us to have some problems. Uh, attracting new jobs and businesses, attracting new talent, and retaining the talent that we do have because we, we don't have the school system that's up to the level that it needs to be right now for us to be a thriving economic center that I would like to see it be. And that has led into other social issues, if you will, as it relates to crimes, as it relates to um, other areas that are impacted by not having the education system that we want. Um, it's led into what I would call the the under uh, represented underemployed uh, factor as well that I think comes as a result of not being adapting um, in our approach to education for the community that it is right now. Much like many other communities, it's different than it was when I was in high school. I don't think that we've kept up with that change. I don't think that we've supported it in a way that it needs to be. So we have challenges in those areas. Um, I would like to see us diversify our economic um, offerings. I would like to see us be less of a government and service-based, uh, service and manufacturing-based economy and be one that is more tech-driven, one that is more digitally uh, connected um, so that small businesses and entrepreneurs feel like Montgomery is a place where they can um, plant a flag and grow and be a place where their families can have a, a great quality of life and where if you're single you can have a great quality of place um, in the, in our city because you can get to our downtown you can get to your office in 15 minutes um, and and be at a nice restaurant or be at a minor league baseball game or some other event outside of that in a relatively amount of time without spending most of your uh, uh, waking hours in, in traffic so we have to make sure that we are I think kind of preparing for our future and we're investing in that and that was one of our core themes uh, throughout our campaign is that we have to invest in the future it doesn't just happen because we want to pray it to be so we want it or hope it to be so it happens because every day we're making decisions uh, and we're making um, um, I guess policy initiatives that will change the fabric of our city and that are going to change the narrative of where we go forward so that for those who come to learn about the history of the civil rights movement, for those who come to learn about the history of Montgomery and the place uh, that it has in our American history, they also understand that it is a place that is building for the future and is a place that is a, 
um, has fantastic opportunity for people who live there um, to achieve the American dream and for people who may have never thought of living in Montgomery to achieve the American dream also. Well, Mayor, I mean, this is such an honor to talk to you, and uh, it's going to be exciting over the years to come to watch your work uh, on transforming this city, uh, preparing it, recognizing its past, but preparing it for the future. Um, it's, it's great to talk to you, and I look forward to seeing all, all the work you're going to do. Fantastic. Thank you for having me, and I uh, look forward to um, all of the, the work that we can do for the people of Montgomery and really serving in an example of excellence uh, of what's possible, I think, for local leaders around the, around the country. Hey, thank you. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep this honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast. Thank you.